Welcome back to another episode of Jake's Takes. My name is Jake, and thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the podcast. And on this week's episode, we are going to be looking at, first, the NBA centers, uh, looking at the starting centers, and who is the best, who is uh, the worst, looking at um, 1 through 30. So we will be looking at that and then some other NBA news. So starting it off, we have basically... Nikola Jokic, who is one of the front runners for MVP and is, in my opinion, the best center in basketball. Then we have Joel Embiid, who is number two, best center in the Eastern Conference. Um, not much else I can say. He's just one of the best and plays great defense and offense. Then we have Carl Anthony Towns, who I think is slightly better than Rudy Gobert, who's number four. Um, Carl Anthony Towns has a lot of upside, and at this point in time, I think he's just a little bit better than Gobert. And, you know, Gobert's at four. Bam Adebayo is at five, and he's um, very, very good um, and just one of the best. Then we have Nikola Vucevic, who is number six. And, uh, you know, obviously he is um, an all star and is uh, deserving of being on this list right here. You could argue that he's better than Bam. I think, you know, either way, um, you could flip-flop these. I went with Bam, then Vucevic. Um, then we have uh, Porzingis, Kristaps Porzingis in Dallas, who has been playing um, the center position. Obviously, you know, he's hurt right now, so Powell's been kind of getting those center minutes, but um, when he's healthy and ready to go, uh, Powell uh, is on the bench, and Porzingis is the starter, and so that's where I put him. Then we have, next on my list, he's having a great season, is DeAndre Ayton. And again, my uh, two choices here, DeAndre Ayton and Christian Wood, you could argue they could get flip-flopped. I put Ayton above Wood um, at the moment. And I think, you know, they're both doing great. Ayton's been, you know, on such a good team and, you know, has been doing uh, so well for Phoenix. And Christian Wood could be um, a most improved player. He's been uh, great for the Rockets, uh, big improvements. Then we have uh, Miles Turner, who uh, is up next. Obviously uh, a very good player in his own right. Then we have Clint Capella, who is in Atlanta, who um, you uh, could argue this might be a little high, but he's always been a dominant double-double center. And when you get down to this point, that's what you're looking for. And he is very, very good. Then we have Jared Allen, who is in Cleveland now, and he is on our list next. He's a veteran, solid, um, you know, young guy, um, and is uh, the perfect pick right here. Then we have Jonas Valanciunas in Memphis, who is uh, their starter. Um, he's been on and off injuries, uh, but is their day one starter when healthy, and so he goes right here. Then we have Andre Drummond, and just because he got released by Cleveland and signed with the Lakers does not mean that he has to be at the bottom of the list. He's a double-double machine and somehow can't seem to stay uh, on a team. I think he's going to be a good fit with Los Angeles long-term. He's going to be sitting right here with the Lakers, and that's where I see him. Then we are going to move on to my next pick here, which is Rashawn Holmes. Sean Holmes is, uh, in my opinion, one of the better centers in uh, the NBA. He's obviously someone who has just been uh, a dominant center for Sacramento and has been a big force for their team, so he's right there. 
Then we have Wendell Carter Jr., who um, I think he's good. He's not at the same level as Holmes, but he's a little bit younger, and I think this is where uh, he's uh, a good fit. Then we have Al Horford, who, despite the fact that he's kind of been seen as a negative contract, is still a pretty dominant center, and especially in OKC, where he's kind of the, the one in charge, seeing as he's got a lot of experience playing. He's going to be right behind Wendell Carter. Then we have uh, a rookie, uh, James Weissman. Now, James Weissman is their starter, and, you know, he has uh, a long way to go if he wants to move up this list uh, just a little bit. And so, obviously, um, can't complain there. Uh, next on the docket is, uh, after Weissman, uh, Yersof Nurkic in Portland. Um, he's been also someone who's kind of had it on and off injuries and went healthy. Um, I think is a perfect fit right here and uh, is a good, you know, solid big. Then we have Steven Adams in New Orleans. Um, I think he is um, slated right here. This is a perfect spot. Um, not doing as good this year as previous years, but he also has to deal with um, Zion and Brandon Ingram and a bunch of other players um, who are very, very good and take away a lot of the minutes and, more importantly, a lot of uh, touches. So he's good right there. Then we have Thomas Bryant, who um, to me has been a very good center. He's out right now, but has been a very good center throughout, um, you know, this uh, year. Then we have next uh, Robert Williams, who has kind of taken over the center duties in Boston. Um, he's been improving um, and has, uh, at least in recent weeks, been uh, much better. So I put him right here. Um, they did have Daniel Tice, and um, he is no longer in Boston. So uh, Robert Williams is the starter, and that's where he goes. Then we have Mitchell Robinson in New York. Um, obviously, a very good um, you know center for them, uh, and is a big piece in their rotation. Under him is Mason Plumley in Detroit, who's uh, had a pretty solid um, season so far. Someone who's Maybe uh, deserving of being a little bit higher on this list, but I think this is as good a spot as I can put him. We have next Ivan Zubac at the Clippers. Um, I think this is uh, where he is uh, slated. Um, and, you know, I think that's the best spot for him. Underneath him is Brooke Lopez in Milwaukee. I think, you know, the center position in Milwaukee is a, a weakened spot. I think they got a lot of great players all around, but... You know, this is where I see him. He's not as good as he once was, for sure. Then we have in Charlotte, Cody Zeller, who he might not be there next year, but for now he's their starting center, and he is, uh, when healthy, um, a very good center at that. Then we have Toronto, who I believe their starting center is Chris Butcher, and, you know, they play Siakam and Butcher. I think they also have Aaron Baines, um, as well. Uh, Butcher is going to be uh, the guy, uh, and he is slated right here. And there are two centers below Chris Butcher. We have um, Jakob Portal, who has kind of taken over the starting center duties with Aldridge gone. Um, he was in Toronto, got traded in the Kawhi deal. He's not really the greatest center, but he is their starter for now. Then we have the final center on our list, who is DeAndre Jordan, who uh, took over as the starting center um, with the departure of uh, Aldridge 
if Aldridge was still playing in Brooklyn, he probably would be a little bit higher on this list. I would have probably put him above uh, James Weissman uh, in that uh, in between uh, Horford and James Weissman. But obviously he's uh, retired, and so Jordan is, in my opinion, the worst starting center in the NBA, which, um, you know, if you look at Brooklyn, they have one of the best uh, power forwards in Kevin Durant, one of the best shooting guards in James Harden, and one of the best point guards in Kyrie. So, you know, that is um, that is where where they are at the moment. And so that is the situation in, uh, you know, with the centers. Uh, this is just my opinion and how I see things. Obviously, it's totally different depending on, um, you know, where uh, things go. And so... Um, that's just kind of how I, uh, I see things going at the moment. And so that's where, um, where, uh, we are. So next thing I want to look at is the NBA and tanking. And more importantly, uh, what I want to look at is how the playing games have changed the game for basketball and how this might be the first step in the NBA trying to make a more competitive league. So, um, let's uh, look at that. So it seems like this year is the first year they're doing a playing game situation, which is the 10 seed will play the 7 seed, the 9 seed will play the 8 seed. And my guess is whoever comes out on top in those two series, uh, the 7 seed, 10 seed will play um, the 2 seed, and then the 8 and the 9, whoever wins will play the 1 seed. So it's giving um, a little bit more of a meaning to the end of the season and it also gives teams who might be just looking on the outside uh coming in or maybe they're a team that was at the bottom and they're kind of racing up the boards a chance to potentially you know ink a spot at the bottom of the playoff race now this is um important for a few reasons and most importantly it gives teams a reason to compete um, and keep going, but also it stops teams from having this mentality of tanking, right? Because if you're the 10 seed, now you have a little bit more of a motivation to keep fighting because there's a chance you could make the playoffs. Whereas normally a 10 seed, they're, you know, considering all their options. What do we do? Do we go full rebuild? Do we, you know, start from scratch? And so this gives teams who are kind of in that 10, 11, 9, 10, 11, 12 range, a chance to, you know, push a little farther. And so this might be the end of traditional tanking. Um, and basically, for years, we've seen teams do what is known as a full rebuild, where they basically tank and they get a bunch of top draft picks. We saw Philadelphia do that for a while, and it's where, you know, teams have tended to go. But now you don't need to to do a full rebuild, you can kind of retool and get yourself back into this shape and get back into form and try and compete for one of the bottom spots in the playoffs if you're a team that's a 9 seed or a 10 seed, when in other years, maybe that's not the case. And I think a lot of this has to tie into one of the biggest issues in the NBA, which unfortunately, there's not much you can do about it, which is bigger markets versus smaller markets. And I've talked a little bit about this before and different podcast episodes and whatnot, and basically there is this um, thing in the NBA where it seems like a majority of teams out there who are in bigger markets have a slight um, advantage 
or sometimes a heavy advantage over teams with a smaller market. And so if you look at the NBA today and you look at what is considered, you know, big versus small market, you know, the big market teams, in my opinion, the Brooklyn Nets, the New York Knicks, the Boston Celtics, the Miami Heat, the Chicago Bulls, and then you go to uh, the Lakers, uh, you go to the um, Houston Rockets, and um, you go to the Dallas Mavericks. And I think those are your big market teams. The Clippers are becoming a big market, even though in years past they have always been seen as the little brother, so to speak, and haven't really gotten that recognition. But now with Kawhi and Paul George, they are uh, firmly big market. And then if you have uh, the rest of the NBA is considered um, what I would call um, either smaller market or sometimes in between. Um, and the in between would be, for example, Golden State, who in any certain situation would be a small market, but because they've had success, they've become such a big market for basketball. Same thing with San Antonio, right? San Antonio has no other sports teams, uh, at least in the major baseball, basketball, football, hockey, um, besides the Spurs. And they're a bigger market than they should be because of their success with David Robinson, Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, and, you know, you have um, Greg Popovich, who's obviously one of the greatest um, coaches ever so you know there's always going to be this bigger market versus smaller market thing and when you think about where players want to end up going if you go back to 2010 the teams that had interest in LeBron and uh, you know Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh were Miami and were Chicago and New York Knicks those were the three teams that were the big you know players obviously Miami ended up winning out and so that's where they all went. But those were the three spots where at least LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh were considering teaming up for that super team, right? And you have the Boston Celtics who, you know, Kevin Garnett was in a smaller market in Minnesota. was basically the only life raft they had. Ray Allen was in Seattle, which is um, a somewhat smaller market. Um, and, you know, they both came to... The Celtics with Paul Pierce, which obviously Boston's a big market. Um, and so, you know, it's one of those things where they're, you know, coming here to win a championship, right? You know, you see Golden State, Kevin Durant went to Golden State because of the success they had, right? But where was his number two option? The Boston Celtics, which is a big market. And, you know, so many free agents will choose the bigger markets over the smaller markets, right? Where did Anthony Davis want to go? To the Lakers. And his other options, everyone was talking about the Knicks and the Celtics. They weren't talking about Denver. They weren't talking about Memphis. Anthony Davis had his sights set on the Lakers, number one, the Knicks, and then the Celtics. And then Chicago, which is where he's from, but still big market. So obviously the NBA has tried to make different ways to counteract that sort of situation. And obviously a Supermax, which... That is uh, one of those things which, for those who don't know, a Supermax contract is basically the biggest contract that a player can be offered if they're drafted by a team and they want to sign a max contract. So, for example, Giannis was drafted by the Bucks. He played his whole career in Milwaukee, and when it was time for a new contract, he was going to get a max contract. 
and of all the teams out there that could have offered him a max contract, there is about maybe 40, 50, 60 million dollars of extra money that Milwaukee can offer that any other team can't offer because it's an incentive for players to stay with their teams if money is the option, right? So Anthony Davis could have, if he wanted to, accepted a max, super max, from the Pelicans. Obviously, he wanted to go to Los Angeles, and he didn't want to stay in New Orleans. But if he had, and uh, it got down to it, and he was still in New Orleans before, or I guess when his contract was up, they could have offered him the super max, which the Lakers and any other team wouldn't have been able to even come close to just because of that whole situation. So that is one way that the NBA is trying to help, you know, smaller markets keep their players around. And, you know, maybe this playing situation might also help a little bit just because, you know, if you're a smaller market and your team is not as good and you don't have as good of players, maybe you can still make the playoffs even if you're not, you know, top eight. So, you know, this is something that the NBA is trying to do. I think there's always you know, different ways for the NBA to make changes. And I think, you know, there's always going to be the big versus small market situation where most of the time there will be big markets who always get the free agents and smaller markets who usually don't. Um, Really, they just don't. And so the Knicks are the odd liar of the whole, you know, situation because the Knicks are a big market. Madison Square Garden is probably the most recognized stadium in basketball and they they do so much and so you know you would assume that the Knicks are a big name you'd want to come to New York you'd want to be part of this group but as we saw with Kyrie and Kevin Durant and Jimmy Butler and Kemba none of those guys went there and you know obviously that's a James Dolan issue and so many other you know factors play into the whole situation which is obviously caused for um, some um, problems and so for uh, you know for their team it seems like things aren't always going in the right direction but now um, you know they're turning it around so maybe they'll kind of get back some of that you know name recognition and maybe you know free agents in the future might want to go to New York with the Knicks rather than somewhere else and so they've been sort of an outlier just because they haven't been as good but I do believe that's changing um, you know, in the future, and so I guess, you know, there's always going to be that debate, and there's always going to be small versus big markets, and the NBA is still just trying their best to eventually, you know, try and fix the situation that it might just be a hard thing for the NBA to have to deal with, so, uh, yeah. Now what I want to do is look at the playoffs, and what I want to do is finish off with my playoff predictions. So we're going to look at the playing games and the standings. We're going to assume that everything stays as it is. Uh, We're not going to change any of that up uh, just for the sake of this argument. So we have um, the playing games will start 7 versus 10, which is Miami versus Washington. Miami's going to win. We got 8 versus 9, Pacers versus Hornets. Hornets is going to win. So I think it's going to be Miami and Charlotte uh, as the 8 and the 7. Uh, We have Brooklyn versus Charlotte. That'll be a five-game series with Brooklyn winning. Miami versus Philly. That'll be a six-game series. Philly's going to win. Milwaukee versus Boston. Um, I do believe that this is going to be a seven-game series with Milwaukee winning in seven. 
And then the New York Knicks versus the Atlanta Hawks. I have Atlanta in uh, five. So we will see the uh, five seed taking on the one seed, Brooklyn. Brooklyn's going to win that one pretty easily. Four games. 76ers taking on Milwaukee. 76ers will win that one in uh, six games. Philly versus Brooklyn. Honestly, I think Philadelphia is going to win. I think Philly is going to beat Brooklyn. I think that's just how it is. And Philly moves on to the finals. Representing the Eastern Conference. We have the Western Conference. Portland versus Golden State. We have Portland getting the victory. Memphis versus San Antonio. We have San Antonio moving on. So we have San Antonio taking on Utah. We have Utah winning that in five games. Portland taking on Phoenix. This one's going to be an upset. Portland is going to win in seven games. Portland taking on um, Phoenix in that one. Clippers taking on Dallas. I think Clippers will win. This will be a seven-game series. Nuggets versus the Lakers. I'm going to have to say on this one, the Lakers. But I don't know if they will actually fight through. Clippers taking on um, Portland. And we have the Lakers taking on the Utah Jazz. Utah is going to win their series against the Lakers in six games. I think Lakers don't have it this year. Utah is much better. And then we have the Clippers taking on the Portland Trailblazers. That'll be a five-game Clippers series. Clippers get the win. So we have, um, yeah, we have the uh, Clippers taking on Utah. And I think the Clippers will get the victory. I think Utah's great, but Clippers got the veterans and some much better players in Kawhi and Paul George. We have the Los Angeles Clippers taking on the Philadelphia 76ers. And this one will go six games with the Los Angeles Clippers getting the ending victory. And moving on to championship uh, status. So the Clippers will, for once, get a championship ring, in my opinion. This is just what I believe. I think the Lakers don't have it this year. I think that Brooklyn, while they are great, will not be able to beat the 76ers, who have a lot more diversity in their lineup and a lot more versatility in their lineup. So it's a better situation, and that's where I see it.